Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. back with a new episode of believe in titans following a short holiday break we hope that you all had a uh, a wonderful holiday season as well the titans well they're one game away from what will be a long and potentially dramatic off season following a 26 to 3 loss at houston all that remains now is the final home game of the season sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars, a game that means a lot to Jacksonville and, uh, you know, to to the other th- two teams in the division. The Titans uh, locked into last place. Uh, I, I guess if, if it means anything to the Titans, it, it is that uh, they have yet to win a division game this year, and, uh, and they certainly don't want to go over as far as that goes. Uh, but we will, uh, we will, of course, dig into that and uh, and all other notable happenings of the last week or so with uh, with our usual lineup. Former Titans cornerback Denard, Denard, good evening, sir. Good evening, David. How you doing? I am doing great. And John Glennon of the Nashville Post. John, how are you? I am doing well, thank you. I, I mentioned twenty six to three. Was the uh, was the score in Houston on Sunday, and it's it was a game that was really, from from my perspective, almost never really in doubt. And after you know, you go back. Yes, this hasn't been the best season for the Titans, but the previous four games they went one and three with three three point losses, including two of them in overtime. The other one that that went right down to the uh, went right down to the wire. Um, the Miami game they won with a with a fight to the finish, miraculous, if you will, comeback in the in the final couple minutes. Uh, Denard, did you see a team Sunday that uh, that that I don't want to say, or maybe I do want to say that that checked out a little bit that that finally for the first time this season seemed a little less interested than they needed to be. Less interested. I think they were already getting ready to party. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was ugly. Uh, that's probably the ugliest. Well, that Cleveland game, but it just seemed like there was no emotions in this game. Uh, when you look at Houston, they came out with a sense of urgency and, and uh, congratulations to D'Amico Ross. What a great job and what a uh, great job he's done turning that organization around. If they win Sunday against Indy, they are in the playoffs. So, I mean, that's a, Heck of a job that he's done coming from San Francisco. But when I looked at this team Sunday, David, I, I counted the first four possessions of Houston. They scored, you know, they opened up, went down for the field goal. And then you're talking about uh, the strike, the touchdown uh, to go up 10 0. And then you think about the sack fumble. Uh, and then that went for a touchdown and they come back with a field goal. I mean, the first four possessions I counted, they got two field goals, one offensive TD, and one defensive touchdown. And I mean, and you telling me this offense that only generated three points in the game, it, it was over from the time they stepped on the field sun, uh, Sunday in Houston. Yeah, and, and Will Levis got hurt on that play that resulted in the defensive touchdown. Ryan Tannehill 
came in uh, after having played the previous week. And, uh, I mean, John, I, I guess it's fair to say Tannehill never had a chance hardly Sunday. Uh, it, it, the offensive line, we've, which, of course, we've talked about ad nauseum on here, did him no favors in that game. And, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what's your sense of, of where this team is going into the uh, – Going into the final week is is you know will will there be a, a sort of prideful response Sunday or or will it be you know we we heard Taylor Lewan in recent years talk about how early in his career you know guys were making off season plans as early as November is you know are guys already looking forward to cleaning out their locker next week do you think I think you know I, I think that when there's no carrot out there when when there's no you know playoff motivation. Uh, I, I think it's probably hard. I mean, you know, Denard, you, you would obviously know the best of us, but I, I would guess it's more difficult to become motivated in those situations. Yes, you you know, there there's still personal pride, and and you want to play for your your teammates, your your guys next to you, play for the uniform, play for the fans, home fans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I, I imagine it's still naturally just a little bit more difficult. Honestly, you know, when I watched the Houston game. I, I didn't necessarily, you know, I, I agree with you. There was no incredible uh, uh, sense of urgency or energy. But at the same time, I, I still think it's just a talent issue more than anything right now. I mean, you, you look at the defense that the Titans started in that game. These are some of the starters on defense, not, not guys who are coming in for a little bit of rotation every now and then, but Marlon Davidson, Jaleel Johnson, Kayvon Wallace, Otis Reese, and Eric Garrer. That's about half of your starting defense, uh, you know, and 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 still the defense only gave up 19 points. You know, the, the, one of the touchdowns, um, you know, was was scored uh, otherwise with with the uh, with the fumble sack and, and recovery for the touchdown. Um, and and offensively, uh, as we just referenced, you know, there were there were six more sacks in these games. When there aren't sacks, the quarterbacks are are still getting hit more often than not. And I just think it's awfully hard to develop any kind of consistency, um, you know, behind an offensive line like that. So I, I tend to lean toward it to be a talent problem more than a, you know, than an energy issue at, at that time. But but at the same time, I I do think, and I, and I think it's somewhat natural that there's just always going to be that little bit lack of of an energy when you don't have that that carrot of of postseason play still dangling. Yeah, and uh, and Mike Vrabel, you know, sort of, I, I guess, expressed the the level of frustration that exists over whatever the reasons, and and certainly, you know, he he has a different perspective than any of us, anybody else in the world, really, in terms of how he's dealing uh, dealing with things. But uh, John, he actually dropped an f bomb in his Monday press conference. He did. He just. He did indeed. Um, the funniest thing, though, uh, is is that uh, he he came up to the podium today, which is which we're recording this on on Wednesday. He had his his next press session today, and he started off with an apology, uh, particularly to Gentry Estes of the Tennessean, who was the one who asked the question, provoking said f bomb, and he, and he said in part, uh, you know, I I I want to say an apology for using that kind of language. And words to this effect, he said, you know, really, that's out of character uh, for for me uh, to to use language like that, which was comical, of course, to all of us 
Uh, maybe it's out of character for him at a podium, but it's certainly not in character for Mike Vrabel to use that kind of language in general. Anybody who's been on the sidelines, uh, you know, as we have, to, to watch five minutes of practice can tell you that's very much his his style of vocabulary. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I I don't think it was the end of the world. I think, honestly, that what, him using the, the F-bomb in the press conference – might help him in the minds of some fans who are saying, you know, hey, where's the emotion from Mike Vrabel? All we ever hear is got to play better, got to coach better, blah, 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 and want to hear a little of that frustration bubble over, want to know that that it's driving him crazy. And I think what they saw was was kind of some raw emotion there. I don't, I don't think that was contrived. I think that he was expressing what it's like uh, to to lose and to lose so often like the Titans have when they've lost 18 of their last 23 games. So I think that was a slice of, of Mike Vrabel raw. And, and if anything, I, I I think it may have done him more good than the not in the in the eyes of a lot of fans who are just as frustrated uh, as Mike Vrabel is right now. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a great point. And and Denard, you know, a, a guy like Mike Vrabel, he's been at the podium four or five days a week, every week during the season for the last six years now. He, he does obviously, you know, he he is he is well-schooled in what that moment is. A, a lot of, most players are, are used to dealing with the media. Some, some at, at, you know, who come out of bigger college programs actually get a lot of media training before they get to the NFL. Guys know, you know, how to conduct themselves in these moments. It, to, your, to your sense, how much frustration and just emotion is there that that would prompt that kind of moment from Mike Vrabel when he's standing at a at a podium with cameras and microphones and all that pointed at him well he's a not like he's a, a lot nicer than Sean Payton <laughs> good point uh, yes he's a lot he's a lot nicer than Sean Payton I'll tell you that much and that's exactly you remember when Jim Moore went off years ago and he kept talking about playoffs you guys keep playoffs. Really? Are you serious? And that's what happens, David, when you're losing. I mean, it's just frustration that just mounts. And I think the reporter, she, she must have caught him on the wrong day. I think somebody already pissed, made him mad. And that's just what happens when you go through a season. The coaches and players, we read those articles sometimes and we hear the, the you know, the uh, all these YouTube channels and things like that. They tell us to channel out. But that's what happens when you with everything, all that losing, it just, it just mounts. And uh, it's just frustration. And, and look at Mike Vrabel. I mean, I kind of went through David and I look at what this man has done since his tenure uh, in Nashville. You think about when he came in in 2018, nine and seven, but the following year, they lose to Kansas city in the AFC championship in 2019. Let's not forget in 2021, Tennessee used 91 players that season and winning the AFC and you know, taking over that conference and uh, ended up getting the first round by, which is what the third time in, uh, uh, since the inception of that uh, franchise since 1960. That's not easy to do. So we got to give him credit. And not to mention he's, he's working with the new general manager. We don't know. I, don't, I, w- I would love to know the relationship he has with Rand Carthon because that's going to be a big decision if he comes back or not this offseason. 
Yeah, and and that's a uh, it, it's an interesting point about Vrabel too. You know, we all we all saw what he did the the first couple seasons, and and there's got to be some level of what he's experiencing right now where he feels like so much of this is out of his control. And and you look at this uh, you look at this team's record under Vrabel in one touchdown games. You know, for his first four years, they went twenty one and ten in games decided by eight points or fewer, including seven and two each in twenty one and twenty twenty two. You know, and, and I and I think if you're if you're a, a coach and you've got that kind of record, you probably feel like more often than not you can come up with the right answer from a scheme standpoint or a strategy standpoint late in the game or, you know, a, a time management, whatever it takes in those moments. You know, Mike Vrabel has reason to feel good about his ability to do the job because this team has won more close games than not. This year, they're four and seven in uh, in in games decided by eight points or fewer and uh and and he probably he probably does look at this and i think to a certain degree rightfully so that that there's only so much he can do with with what he has right now and uh you mentioned you know you talk about Rand carthen which kind of leads us right into the next point here there's uh there are there's a lot of chatter from national reporters uh some who have more credibility than others, but it seems to be a fairly consistent message that uh, that Rand Carthen and Mike Vrabel don't see eye to eye on a lot of things and that Mike Vrabel might try to uh, force his way out or walk away this offseason and, and try to find another opportunity elsewhere. And, and, and Denard, you brought up D'Amico Ryans, the, the head coach of Houston now, who was on the staff at San Francisco, which you know, is obviously terrific organization, probably the second best team in the NFL right now behind Baltimore. Uh, Rand Carthen, of course, came from San Francisco as well. And, and you know, what, whatever, whatever the working arrangement was between John Robinson and Mike Vrabel, and certainly they didn't agree on everything. We, we can all point to Mike Vrabel's reaction to the, uh, to the AJ Brown trade as as clear evidence of that but those two guys you know both were sort of rooted in the New England system they you know their sense of what it takes to win was was rooted in the same place that you know all the success that each of them enjoyed with the Patriots there Rand Carthen coming from San Francisco is, is a guy who undoubtedly has has some different ideas and uh, and and they probably they they probably have had to navigate some bumps along the way. So uh, I, I I certainly as as I look at these reports, I think there's there's certainly something to it. You know how severe the divide between the two of them is. I can't say, and and we uh, we probably won't know for at least another week or so. But uh, you know. John, going back to Vrabel's Monday press conference, he was, you know, he was asked about this this week and and gave a uh, would would you call it a politically correct answer or or do you think it was even better than that? Yeah, it was actually uh, today that that he was asked on on that yeah, front about the uh, yeah on the uh, on kind of his future, and it was interesting. Uh, you know, some of his responses. Uh, you know, he said, I- I'm excited to build this thing and and to fix this thing and get it to where we want it to be. 
to win championships with Ran uh, and the assistant general managers and the coaching staff and everybody. That's what our goal is. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's fairly specific that to me, you know, that that offers a sense that, you know, that, that he does be the, the plan is to be here. And, and I just I, I kind of threw out a follow up question today on that front. And I said, so that means you want to be here next year. Uh, and he said, of course. Uh, but then I don't know, maybe maybe you're just parsing word. Maybe I'm just parsing words a little bit too much. But uh, not only did he say, of course, then he said, I want to be here next year. I'll I'll be here as long as we can win and as long as we can do this thing. So then, and again, maybe you're, you're trying to read too much into every word, but, but you know, is he kind of giving himself an out, uh, you know, by saying if, if things don't go well with Ran or, or the way the direction the, the front office is going this offseason, can he then say, yeah, well, I don't think we're going to be winning like this, so now I want out. So I, I don't know. May, again, maybe you're studying words too closely when you look at that kind of a sentence. Uh, you know, maybe we should just basically look at the fact that he said, yeah, I, I want I, I of course, I want to be here next year, um, which was as definitive a statement as as we've heard uh, so far. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of like what what you referenced, David, too. I, I think there's it's almost like there's too much smoke out there for there not to be maybe just the, the tiniest kernel of truth to the fact that, that you know, that this relationship may not be great. Um but, you know, on the other hand, I mean, Brent Carton has been here one season. Like, like how much, you know, can have possibly gone wrong in one season? I mean, are, you're going to have disagreements with with anybody, uh, you know, and, and how how much can things have gone off the off the rails in one season? You know, don't you don't you give a relationship a little bit more of a of a chance than that? So, you know, I, I did think Brable's comments today were, were fairly Fairly definitive towards the next season, but I still thought he left himself a little bit of an out uh, as well. Well, I'll say this, though, too, you know, from from what I have observed and what uh, what I know about how the business works. And and I've been in it over three decades now, as, as you have, John. I would wager virtually anything that. Rand Carthen has many, many, many more off-the-record conversations with reporters, local and national, particularly national, than Mike Vrabel does. And, uh, and I just wonder if some of that is not coming directly from Rand Carthen and whether or not Carthen has a guy you know, presumably somebody on the San Francisco staff, or I don't know, you know, that, that he has a guy in mind. And and keep in mind, Mike Vrabel got this job unexpectedly. You know, Mike Malarkey had led the Titans to a playoffs and, and a win in the playoffs, a, a come-from-behind win at Kansas City in 2017. And then all of a sudden he gets fired uh Mike Vrabel comes in and interviews and and two days later he's he's given the head coaching job and I mean there was there was no doubt at that moment that uh you know John Robinson when he got the job as general manager had sort of his list of you know if I ever get to hire a head coach these are guys I'm going to want to talk to and Mike Vrabel was probably at the top of that list 
and Rabel was getting interviews, you know, after a, a, I, I always contend John Robinson thought he'd have more time, but all of a sudden after one season as a defensive coordinator, Rabel was scheduled to interview in Indianapolis and I, and I think one other place and, uh, and John, awesome. yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it was. And, uh, and, and I think John Robinson saw his chance to hire this guy slipping away and, and move to to make sure he got him here, and uh, and I can't help but wonder if maybe history is repeating itself a little bit, and Rand Carthen isn't trying to sort of lay the groundwork to to create a separation between these guys because you know that there are going to be people from San Francisco, you know, as Robert Sala got the job a couple of years ago in New York, there's, you know, as good as that team has been, people are going to be looking at that staff to, uh, to, to want to fill some openings. So I, I, I can't help but but wonder. And, and again, this, I, I don't know that any of that's true, but I just, as a guy, as an observer and a guy who's been in it and knows how it works, I kind of feel like that might be, what's going on here. And I got to ask you, Denard, I don't know. I'm old enough to remember when, uh, when Jerry Jones fired Jimmy Johnson and, uh, and Michael Irvin threw a bit of, of a hissy fit at reporters and actually, you know, outside the locker room and, and he threw a trash can at them, telling them to go away. He was very emotional that day. Um, Denard, are, 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 you know, players are on social media. They hear this. Are, are they, you think most of them are, are terribly concerned about who their coach is going to be or, or is it, look, as long as I'm under contract, as long as I have a job, I'll show up. Whoever's here to coach me, they can coach me. No, no. You, you, you want to know who's going to be your coach. Uh, that's important because that can end up, uh, it can make a career and it can end a career. Look at Russell Simmons, Russell, Russell Wilson out in Denver right now. Yeah. You don't think they're going through capital H E L L out there in that locker room. It's a lot going on between the general managers at Patton right down to, uh, Sean, uh, right down to Russell Wilson. I mean, there's a lot going on. So listen, uh, that's a lot of speculations. I mean, we had that yeah. situation uh, in Nashville back uh, years ago in 1999 because everybody knows that Coach Fisher, and a lot of people don't know this, uh, was given kind of an ultimatum. Either we go to the Super Bowl or nine out of ten, uh, he was probably going to lose his job. We were not having the most successful campaign for about two or three years and, uh, and we won. Uh, we didn't win that game against Buffalo. Uh, Coach actually made a uh, – <laughs> he made a joke that, uh, well, at least I get to coach for another week. I was getting ready to go back to my home out in Southern California. <laughs> Is that was, right? I never heard that one. He wasn't playing around. He, he kind of said it a joking fashion, yeah. but everybody knew if we didn't win that game. So luckily for coach, because, I mean, when you bring another coach in, David, uh, that kind of changes the whole – it changes everything. It's like a new organization. You know, you get used to doing one thing, and now you got somebody is that's going to bring their DNA, their philosophy. So, and it might not fit what you do well. I mean, who's to say when you bring, if you bring in a new coach, he's going to want a Derek Henry. Maybe he's going to want to rebuild. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Uh, he's going to want a new, you know, quarterback situation. I mean, there's so many factors. So with this situation that's going on, I think it's a lot of speculation. Look, Mike Vrabel, and, and, and if you can stop me if I'm wrong about this, but he just signed prior to the 2022 season, a contract extension, right? Well, there's, but there's a report that there's been one report that says that, that the 
the extension maybe doesn't exist or like maybe there's an opt out or something. That's 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 that reporter. He he retracted that. He did retract (laughs) that. Okay. Yeah. It was Michael Lombardi. You got to watch you guys, you know, because, you know, a lot of those riders be starting those rumors like that. Yeah. No, that was that was my if you're I think the one you're referencing, David, is Michael Lombardi. It was Michael Lombardi, uh, yeah, Michael exactly. Lombardi. Yeah. yeah. And and he has since uh said he miss uh misspoke or misfired or something along those lines and and said that uh uh Brabel still has two more years uh, uh on his left on his contract. So nice of him to stir up, you know, uh, a hurricane. <laughs> yeah, there, there it goes. That's Sorry what about they that. do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it and that you know it it and that is that is the uh, the hazard you know there it's always been imperative to be right. It's more so imperative to be right nowadays because news with with the internet and social media and everything news spreads everywhere all at once. There's there's no chance to uh, there's no chance to tamp it down. But uh, Denard, you you referenced you referenced Derrick Henry and and let's let's talk about some good things here. Derrick Henry, with one game to go in the season, has 1,014 rushing yards. So he is uh, he has topped a thousand uh, once again. What's that? Five years in a row, or five times? Not five in a row. Of course, uh, a couple of years ago, the foot injury kept him just short of that. And DeAndre Hopkins uh, with 1,011 receiving yards. So a thousand yard rusher and a thousand yard receiver from a team that. Uh, that that has not had good offensive line play this uh this offseason it it a, that's probably a bit of an upset uh john what which of those is more impressive to you that uh you know that cuz i it's it seems a bit unlikely that this uh this would be the case in this particular year yeah you're right you're right most of the time when you talk about a team with Hey, look at the balance and the firepower they have with a thousand-yard runner, thousand-yard receiver. You're talking about a high-powered, high-charged offense. Uh, not the case uh, with the Titans, certainly. Um, I think they're, you know, uh, both great accomplishments. I think you can make a, a case, obviously, for for both that are more impressive. You know, with with Derek certainly running behind this line, uh, pretty amazing that that one can hit. A uh, thousand yards uh, while while doing it behind a, a line that has consistently been ranked or graded as as one of the worst uh, this year. At the same time, um, I I think you know some of his numbers weren't as impressive this year. You know he's averaging under four yards a carry. Um, only three games over five hundred, while there were six games that were under fifty. So you know when when you consider he was only averaging about sixty three yards a game. Uh, maybe I lean, I think, a little bit more towards DeAndre Hopkins' 1,000-yard achievement as being the more impressive of the two, uh, primarily because there were so few, uh, there are so few other receiving threats on this team. Um, you know, we all know how Traylon Burks' season has gone, uh, you know, just went off the rails from a guy there was a lot of expectations for to a guy who was in and out of the lineup, couldn't hold on to passes, you know, hasn't come close to reaching potential. So for the vast majority of the season, DeAndre Hopkins has been the guy, um, you know, that the Titans have to throw the ball to. He's also a couple of years older than Derrick Henry. He's played more seasons than Derrick Henry. So there's more wear and tear, but at the same time, he ended up averaging 14.9 yards per catch. So it's not like he was just out there catching a bunch of, 
you know, short passes and trying to do things with them. He was open, getting open downfield. He was responsible for the vast majority of the big chunk plays for this Titans team. So I, I lean to him a little bit more as a greater accomplishment, but you got to give Derrick Henry a little, a lot of props for finding enough uh, room to, to get a thousand behind a line that, that didn't open too many holes for him. Yeah. It's been hard yards all year for, for Derrick Henry, uh, unlike what we've seen uh, to some degree in the past, but, but DeAndre Hopkins, though, you, you mentioned John 14.9 yards per reception. That's his highest in nine yeah. seasons. I mean, you got to go back to his second year in Houston, his second year in the league when, uh, for, for him to have a better yards per catch. And it sort of, it sort of makes you, you know, you, you sort of lament what, what could have been for this offense if they had gotten even just good offensive line play it, you know if, if the quarterbacks had time to stand in there and 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 Hopkins had time to to finish his route and, and get open more often than uh than than, than he did I mean it, it really it, it it could have been it could have been much more magical than it is now of course he's he's under contract for next season and uh presumably we'll be back we'll we'll see what happens with Derrick Henry but uh the, the you know we just can't say it enough that the offensive line, uh, the offensive line, has to get better, has to get significantly better this off season. And Denard, I mean, I, I'm curious. You know, you were you were excited as anyone when when DeAndre Hopkins signed uh, for for two guys at this stage in their career to you know to to do what they did when when it wasn't easy for them to do so. How? From your perspective, how impressive are, are those numbers for each of those guys? Man, what an amazing – I mean, you think about the Julio Jones uh, situation years ago. Everybody yeah. was so excited. You know, Julio getting to Nashville. Now they're going to get over the hump. He's going to be paired with A.J. Brown. And that relationship – I mean, it was a great relationship between A.J. and Julio, but it just didn't work out. You know, Julio was banged up uh, for majority of the year. He didn't put up the stats that we were looking for, but for D hop, this is amazing. You know, I was kind of reading up on this and it's the seventh time D hop has eclipsed the thousand yard mark, but what's really, uh, amazing. And we're talking about a first ballot hall of famer. You're thinking about, think about this in 11 years, only four players have eclipsed this mark. And I'm talking about over a thousand yards, seven times. Was it receptions or what? 900. And what the yardage, what he has 1200 yards. They talk about the touchdowns, over 70 touchdowns. Only Marvin Harrison, Jerry Rice, Brandon Marshall, and Larry Fitzgerald has done it in a span of 11 years. That is amazing. And what three or four, three out of those four are Hall of Famers. And I mean, what a job he's done. I mean, you know how hard that is? I mean, with a new team, you got what you have to go through two quarterbacks. You got a line that, I mean, hasn't been able to. Uh, protect the quarterback all season, and he's equipped this for the seventh time in his career at, and really in a stage where most guys start to kind of wear down. And that's what's been amazing about D-Hop. And not to mention, he was the bright spot uh, the other day in Houston. I mean, he's the one that kind of, especially in the first half when they were getting him the ball, he was kind of the one that was kind of making those tough runs, breaking those, uh, kind of eluding those defenders and getting those tough yardage. So, I mean, congratulations to D-Hop, man. He played well. And, and sometimes with a veteran, you kind of, especially when they you feel like they don't have nothing to play for, he went out there and showed out Sunday against uh, the Texans. I mean, he didn't have the yardage, but he did play hard. And that's something that you like to see in your vet. 
Yeah, seven catches the uh, the fourth time this season that, uh, and, and second time in the last four weeks that he's had at least that many in a game. So, uh, was, uh, what's interesting too on seven targets also. You know, yes. a lot of times we've seen in games where he hasn't he's needed a lot of targets to make catches. Not not so in this in this game. Yeah, that that's a great point. And uh, you know, we we when they signed him, we talked about it. You you go back to. 2000 and Carl Pickens and uh and you go through Randy Moss and Andre Johnson and and you know you mentioned Julio Jones more recently Denard all these great wide receivers who have come to this franchise and and not uh not delivered as expected uh DeAndre Hopkins certainly not part of that conversation so um you you mentioned Denard, the two, the two, uh, the two quarterbacks, both of whom played Sunday, only one of whom practiced on Wednesday to start this week, and that uh, that was Ryan Tannehill. I mentioned Levis got hurt on the play that uh, that he fumbled that turned into a, a Houston touchdown. Yeah, you know, we we we've had this discussion a couple of weeks ago. Should Ryan, if if Will Levis can't play, John Glennon, should it be Ryan Tannehill again or? Or is there something to be gained from showcasing Malik Willis? Is, can can the Titans find a way to 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 do something with him to to showcase him? Maybe increase his trade value this off season. Uh, I think that window has sailed in the eyes of the Titans. The Malik Willis opportunity to play. I, I think they have seen all they care to of Malik Willis, and and you know Mike Vrabel has said that. If um, if Levis can't go, that Ryan Tannehill is going to be the guy again. And, you know, I guess when it comes to whether it should be Levis or not, you know, I think in general I am a guy who, uh, you know, as uh, Mike Vrabel seems to feel also, I'm of the opinion, like, even if the games in general are, are meaningless, when it comes to getting a rookie quarterback, you know, snaps out there, nothing beats live game experience and and – um, you know, you can't just put him in bubble wrap forever. That said, uh, maybe in this instance, there's one game left now. Uh, we all know it's meaningless for the Titans, and we all know that Levis, even if he winds up being able to play, he didn't practice today on Wednesday, even if he's able to play, it's pretty likely he's not going to be 100%. So maybe if there's any argument for sitting a guy for his own health and well-being, Maybe this Sunday on the 17th game, maybe that's the case. Uh, you throw in the fact that you maybe give Ryan Tannehill one last uh, uh, go round in front of the, the Nissan Stadium fans. Uh, you know, maybe that kind of thing make, is more meaningful and more relevant now that you're not playing for the playoffs as well. So, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world if, if, uh, if Will Levis is only 80 or 90%, if they go ahead and sit him down. And, hey, if you happen to lose this game anyway, well, oh, well, maybe that, that gets you in better position to get you a left tackle uh, in the top five picks of the draft, uh, better able to protect Will Levis in the future. So maybe that comes into the uh, into the argument as well. Denard, would, uh, if you're coaching this team, would you try to get – Will Levis on the field if you can no. if he's if he's at all healthy or do you say Absolutely. look kid you've done enough this year you've done enough I mean you show that you're the future of this franchise um, 
And so if you think about it, if I'm Ron Tannehill, heck, I don't want to play. <laughs> <laughs> what did Houston get to about five times? I counted uh, it was in the fourth quarter about 741 when he got sacked by Derek Barnett. That was the fifth sack that I counted. And I'm like, if you Ron Tannehill, you're like, listen, I'm going to be for, I'm going to be a free agent, man. I don't want to go out there and get hurt. And you got a Jacksonville team that's going to come and they're going to be hungry. So again, I'm thinking sometimes maybe this is a good situation for Malik to kind of put something on tape or film. That way, you know, you can get some kind of value uh, from, you know, out of him because uh, there's going to be some teams that are going to need a backup quarterback. And I mean, this could be a great situation for him to go out there and to kind of showcase his skills and just put something on tape for other teams to see. Yeah. And uh, I, we should point out, I guess, if there's one bit of drama going into Sunday, it, it is uh, whether or not Jacksonville's Josh Allen will end up as the NFL sack leader. He uh, currently has 16 and a half. Trails Pittsburgh's T.J. Watt and Cincinnati's Trey Hendrickson by a half, and uh, um, the you know the way this offensive line has been playing, I would think Josh Allen is uh, is really excited about the opportunity that uh, that, that awaits him Sunday against uh, against Tennessee. I like his chances. He did. I'll second that. <laughs> the guy, and, he might, and, he yeah, might catch hand. <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, the guy, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, the guy's playing his best football right now. I mean, every time I'm looking at highlights, it seems like he's blowing up quarterbacks right now. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, it might be, might be one of those deals where the coaches keep, uh, keep nine men in and to block and, and just send D hop out and say, go, go beat an entire secondary. I mean, it is, uh, it, it's, it it looked bad at times on Sunday. It it has to be, you know, it, it's obviously not going to be great, but it's uh, it it has to be better this week against the Jaguars. We, uh, but that is the end of this opportunity for us to talk about the Titans, I guess. And uh, we will uh, we will be back next week to break down that uh, that last game and get started on the off season. Until then, Denard Walker, as always, thank you, sir. Thank you, John Glennon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And I am David Beauclair, and thank all of you for listening to Believe in Tight. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.